Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Fraudology Podcast, where every week we will dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of a veteran fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I've focused my life and career on online fraud prevention for over 15 years, working with hundreds of the most well-known e-commerce companies to help them prevent payment fraud and abuse. Welcome back. Well, last week I felt brave and vulnerable and shared a lot that I didn't want to. Even after I shared it, I didn't want to share it. I actually, I think it's probably more subconsciously than consciously, forgot to provide my editor with episode description notes to upload it. So the podcast was actually uploaded on Saturday when I think she probably just got tired of me and was like, all right, I'm just going to write my own description and post it up for Carice because I know that she doesn't want to do this or she's, you know, probably getting in her own way, which I am really good at and not proud of. And so I think it was my way of trying to keep myself safe, but in a very subconscious way, because I didn't think of it again. She texted me on Wednesday and said, hey, you know, can you get me the notes for Thursday's release? And then I was out and about running errands. Washington State is on more of a lockdown again. And so I'm trying to really consolidate my outings outside of the house and had a doctor's appointment. So then ran a couple errands. So I didn't, I wasn't in a place that I could do it right then. And then I just forgot and got busy and sidetracked. And I think she just got tired of waiting for me and released it on Saturday. And I am so grateful that she did. A shout out to Nikita at Journey Girl Productions. Nikita is a friend first and was a friend first before becoming the editor and producer of this podcast. And so she knows me for better or worse and and knows that I get in my own way. So I'm grateful for her that she just went ahead and did it. I obviously was trying to keep myself safe. But I learned that it was coming, that it had come out by getting a couple of really sweet messages from some people that said it really helped them. So that was 100% my why. Really, I think just too many times we focus on the end product or someone further along in their career and then think that that's unattainable. And I guess my whole reason for doing any of that was like, I, I don't think I should be on a pedestal any more than anyone else. I mean, do I do, do I have close relationships with companies that most people don't? And do I go above and beyond? Sure, absolutely. But um, I think everyone has their own wonderful pieces of the puzzle that they contribute to fraud prevention, as well as just to the world, whether it's in um, e-commerce or in general. So really, my purpose of, of doing that first episode was really around beginnings and how, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to become and I didn't know where I was going to go. I just knew I needed to start. And I, you know, took several risks and, and did, I I would get brave for a second and then, you know, get in my own way and then brave for another minute and then get in my own way. And that seems to be a very strong theme throughout my life. But I think the, you know, the things that I'm most proud of is that I do get brave, even if for a hot minute. And that is really what has helped me propel my life forward, as well as being introspective and wanting to grow and change and recognize my mistakes and, you know, wanting to wanting to do better. So one of the notes that uh, a listener sent just really spoke to me. And it was a meme that they saw posted by the female lead on LinkedIn. It's a group I follow as well. They have great notes of inspiration for women, but also just, you know, anyone in in leadership. And this was a post-it note that says, maybe she's born with it, or maybe it's years of hard work, commitment, dedication, sweat, and difficult choices. I posted this on my LinkedIn a couple of days ago, and I've had thousands of uh, reactions and views. So I think that that is a message that we all can relate to and appreciate. 
So all of that said, this next episode is part two. I'm really looking forward to next week diving into talking about some really exciting dark web intel that I've learned from someone who's just incredibly smart and that I'm lucky to work with. So I'm really looking forward to providing that and talking about things that are a lot more comfortable to me uh, than my own mistakes. But I really thought it was important, you know, last week I really talked about the first half of my career and kind of what led up to becoming a consultant. And I'd be lying if I didn't say that these last six years of being a consultant probably weren't the most lessons that I've been handed out in my career ever. Similar to the beginning of my career, I had no idea how things were going to turn out. And I still don't. I'm probably in the middle, definitely not in the end um, of this journey. But where I left off on the last episode, and if you haven't listened, you know, feel free to stop and go back. But and and listen to that one first, but I don't know if you necessarily need to. Where I left off really was being just completely burnt out. I had cared too much. I had done too much. I was doing the job of, you know, three to four people. Just two weeks after I left that position, someone uh, was let go because it became very apparent that I was doing their job for the whole time, even though I had tried to express that many times prior to leaving. My position was later filled by not one, but I think two, maybe three people. So that's validation, just that I was doing too much. It's not me trying to say I was amazing or whatever. It's just I was obviously doing way too much. And I also had some challenging leadership that was not supportive and instead contributed to my insecurities that fueled me overworking and just trying to be too much to everyone and my family just got the scraps and so did my health and my health really took a huge blow and so uh, I started to look for another opportunity I had always wanted to become a consultant but I being in a risk adverse industry that was just not something I felt like I could do at all it felt super super risky and it is to work for myself and so I was like you know I would love to do that and yes I have more connections and and network and I've proven myself more now than I had the first time when I tried to be a consultant for a very brief minute but I just wasn't ready yet so I was actually headhunted by a few different companies I mean throughout working for the trade association I would have you know many companies or I shouldn't say many but a handful or more throughout the you know few years say hey you know have you thought about work doing this full-time again and, and being in operations we're looking for a leader and a lot of them would require a move and my husband has worked for the same fortune 100 company for well over a decade and it's firmly rooted in our hometown so there's just you know no way and so and my daughter was in school and had friends and all that so moving was not an option And this is prior to a global pandemic where remote work has become so much more accepted. So that was kind of an easy way to filter them out. But there were two companies that reached out to me that final summer that I uh, was intrigued by primarily because they were both in the Seattle area. And there were technically three, but two that I really, you know, considered and ended up going with one that had a very good reputation of being an incredible employer as a company. And they just had never had a formal fraud team or organization in place and they had lost a significant amount of money to it Uh, and they were a very large organization and but probably not one of the first ones that you're thinking of because they've had fraud teams for a very long time and as they should and also part of their success anyway (laughs) on that note or past that actually I went and spoke with them as a representative of the trade association and they really hung on every word I said and really you know had a great interview it wasn't because I you know they hung on every word but like it was really productive and they really appreciated my perspective and the things I had learned from other companies and ironically I couldn't make it to one of the interviews because I had a presentation at Google and then also at Square I hosted these regional roundtables that were one of the many initiatives that I started for the organization that I am proud of and so I wasn't you know the interview process got held short a little bit by those trips and then I went back to it so it was just kind of funny to me that like I went from speaking at Google to you know top Silicon Valley fraud fighting companies to than being in my own position of leadership in fraud for an e-commerce company just a few weeks later. And one of the biggest reasons why I find that so ironic now is because once I did accept the position and get started there, 
I was not as respected. There was just a lot of fear. The people who were kind of responsible for all the losses were still on the team and I think had a lot of fear that I would come in and say that everything they did was wrong. And despite me really trying hard to be gentle and not say, oh, you should be doing it this way, but instead say things like, oh, if you thought about this, I didn't handle it right. I I listened to the promises of senior leadership that I would be, you know, handling, managing this whole team and that there would be, you know, big advancement opportunities. I just, they just needed to get me in the door for a lower budget and a lower title, but that I would for sure, you know, get this advancement very soon. And that <laughs> just, you know, no out to everyone. If you're ever given that line, don't go for it. I think that it became apparent to everyone on the team that that was also what I was told. And so I think that that really shot me in the foot really quickly, but I had, you know, gotten used to being sought after for my advice. And so maybe it went to my head. I don't know. I think it is a combination of things, but I was also the only female that had ever been on that team. And it wasn't really even a formal team. Like, you know, there wasn't really a fraud team. That was what I was brought in for. Then there ended up being a turf war with another department who didn't feel like the department that brought me in was moving fast enough and they didn't really take time to understand like who I was or what I had done. And so they also tried to hire someone. It was just a mess, but there were many times that I felt like I had fallen from grace. Like, well, maybe I was like, maybe this is who I am. Like, maybe I am just supposed to do low level work. Like maybe I really don't know as much as I thought I did or as much as those big companies thought I did. And I don't think I've ever been super conceited or it's gone to my head, but I definitely got confident. And I, I mean, which I wasn't used to, so maybe I wasn't showing it well, but I just think that there was a lot going on, but I would be left, you know, they'd be brought into meetings, senior meetings, and I would never be, get the invitation. Or I'd be told that they didn't need a little girl's perspective this time. Or, you know, they'd often refer to me as the LG, the little girl. And just horrible, disgusting jokes. And I mean, and I'm, it takes a lot to offend me. So if I was offended, it was, you can consider it was probably worse than what you'd hear at a truck stop. It wasn't just like a little, you know, little bit bad here or there. I say the F word, you know, pretty much like a sailor, sailor when I'm not on the podcast and, you know, I'm, I've got a dirty sense of humor. So again, not easily offended, but these were very offensive comments and it was just a really toxic thing for me. And there was someone in my life who I had known through the trade association and known for several years who was visiting that organization because they now look, worked for a, a vendor and was pitching their services. And so I met up with him for lunch when he had was in the city. And I'll never forget, he we were, I know exactly where we were sitting. And he said, Carice, this is such a boy's world. You're not going to get, he goes, you're not going to get through. Because I just said, well, I just need to hang in there. I know it's only been three months. Like, I just need to keep going. I'll prove myself. It'll be fine. And he said, no, he goes, this is too much of a boy's world for you to jump into. And he said, I hear, I've heard how they talk about you in meetings. And he's like, it's not even recognizable as the person that I know or the other people that, that know you as well out of this, you know, company, but like, they really don't like you and they don't have any plans to, you know, ever invite you to a meeting or let you, you know, be able to do what you were hired for. And I was like, oh great. So here I just announced to everyone this big company I was working for and it, you know, I was very excited and I just put it on my LinkedIn because I had held off for a little while knowing things were a little bumpy and I just felt so embarrassed that it didn't work out. And this guy happened to know the founder of card.present.com and the CMP Expo and said, you know, I mentioned to him that you are available now and he would really love to talk to you. And I didn't know much about them. I just knew that they were kind of the the enemy or the competitor. And I had had zero intention of ever, you know, going back to that industry for conferences and content and all of that. That just, I mean, I loved it. I loved doing that, but I just had no intention. I was very loyal to my former employer, even after I left and even after the hard stuff I had been through. But I needed a job. And I, I also was realizing too that I couldn't work full time, not 
not with all the health issues I had, I was still going to a lot of doctor's appointments. It was, you know, one step forward, five steps back. And the stress of this new position was not helping at all. So I just was like, okay, well, maybe I, I guess I'll have a phone call. And they flew me out to where their office was north of Boston. And I, I, I can't even remember what my cover story was, but I know I came up with some cover story for me being gone for two days, but I don't think anyone really missed me or cared and that's okay. And this was all part of a bigger plan, I think for sure. But the founder of CNP offered me almost on the spot, a remote position. He had said, you know, we weren't looking for anyone, but you're absolutely perfect. They were really having a hard time reaching merchants and they they knew how to reach vendors and sponsors, but didn't know what merchants wanted and, and how to, you know, talk to them. And And I saw it as a great opportunity for me to continue to provide content and thought leadership and bring merchants together to help each other while being able to be home, spend more time with my family, try to focus on my recovery physically as well as mentally and emotionally. I was in a lot of therapy and and learned a lot about why I tried so hard and and why I fell to perfectionism whenever I was uh, worried that or felt like I wasn't qualified for something. So it was hard work, but it was important work. But so I took that position and that it was part time. So I thought, well, now's the time for me to be able to build my own consultancy. I have, you know, a decent enough base income that I would be okay if I didn't get any clients for a month or two. So let's try it. I am internally grateful to my husband because that was a huge risk. And I remember telling him, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know if I can but I'm going to try. And, you know, it was kind of scary to say, Hey, I don't know exactly how this is going to work out, but I hope you can trust me. And I think he believed in me more than I believed in myself. And I think that's been a consistent part of our relationship that I really appreciate. He's always been my uh, number one fan and I wouldn't ever be able to feel safe taking any risks without that. So I know I'm like insanely lucky for that. One other thing I wanted to mention to those of you who have been in the fraud industry for a while, the friend who introduced me to Steve and really played such a big catalyst in um, that part of my life and in really taking the chance to become a consultant and this stage of my life was Ryan Wilk. And I'm going to try really hard not to cry, but we lost him in uh, spring of 2019, freak plane, float plane accident up in Alaska. Ryan worked for companies like Universal Studios, StubHub, and uh, New Data, which was acquired by MasterCard. So I had known Ryan for a long time, but I will never forget and never, never stop feeling indebted to him for making that big move. Now, did I help him along his career too? Yes. And he would say that often, but it just, I needed him to provide that outside perspective of like, Hey, I know that you're used to working extra hard and trying, basically killing yourself, trying to please people and prove yourself, but it's not going to work here. You need to go somewhere else. And that was really hard. I don't do well with what I perceive as failure. And so that was, it was a really dark time. I really struggled with my identity because I had really become like this go-to person and and just that my job had become who I was. And over the first couple of years of working for CNP and and trying to kind of figure out what it meant to work for myself and taking, you know, on a project here, a project there, but really not having a business strategy or or knowing what I wanted to do or what I should do or what I could do and, and not knowing how to reach out to people and sell myself and all of those things, I I really struggled. I had probably an identity crisis. I really, my self-esteem took a hit. I really battled with depression more than ever. I just put too much of my own self-worth into what I did, not who I was. And that's something that I see a lot of people do. And I think that this time in our world has made a lot of people have to go through that. And I I recognize it, right? Like when people get laid off or they are redundant or they get a new position that may be different than what they had, they don't always realize how much of their identity is wrapped up in that. And I've really noticed that over the last several months of a lot of people going through similar struggles that I did during that time, the first couple of years of being a consultant. 
parallel to that, I was able to build new programming and new content as well as, you know, new offers um, at CNP at their conference as well as on their with their publication and being able to write articles. And that really helped me with my confidence, especially the first year. There were several people who knew me from my previous role who worked for very, very large companies that had never heard of the conference before, but because I was involved, they bought a ticket and they traveled across the country because a lot of them were on the West Coast. And at the time, the conference was in Orlando, Florida. And I felt it as pressure back then, but now I just see it as wow, was I lucky that they believed in me. And I really hope they didn't see it as a waste of time. It was really impactful and and humbling. That was also a a great opportunity for the founder of CNP to provide, to invite, actually, I should say, some future investors to the conference to say, look at the big companies we got this year. That wasn't why I did it. But I, in fact, I mean, I barely, a couple of them, I didn't even invite. They just knew I was there and they were like, well, we want to follow you where you're at. So um, super humbled by that and very appreciative to those individuals. I'm just realizing they may not know how appreciative I am. So maybe I need to add writing a note to them onto my to-do list today. And during that time too, I got to take my daughter to school and pick her up and got to know her more and in a different way as she was getting older and she I think was in the fifth grade when I first started working for myself and then went on to middle school and that actually proved to be a very very challenging time I know middle school is hard for every child and every parent but my daughter went through some of the hardest things that I would never wish on any child that occurred in middle school no matter how much of a safe place I've I've tried to give her and so It ended up being a real blessing that I was able to be home and keep her home for an extended amount of time when it became apparent I needed to pull her out of the school for her physical safety and it was a matter of life and death. So, I mean, there were just so many things packed into the first half of me being a consultant and like I said, I mean, it was completely an accident. I get a lot of people who will reach out and say, you know, I'm really thinking about wanting to become a consultant or, you know, and the fact that you've done it it proves me because there really aren't that many consultants in e-commerce fraud. And I think there's several reasons for it. One is that there's a lot of, you know, it really depends on who you want to serve. If you want to serve the merchants or the vendors or both or, you know, it's taken me years to figure out like what the right balance is for me, what the right strategy is for my business. I'm much more comfortable working in my business than on my business. So I'm much more comfortable doing the work and, you know, providing millions of dollars of savings to, you know, one of the top three fast food companies in the world or, you know, millions of savings to, you know, a very large luxury retailer. Like, I mean, I've had some huge wins, but I'm much more comfortable with that than working on my business and um, reaching out to people and, and sharing, you know, and really doing sales or marketing. So I really didn't do any marketing at all for several years. So it was word of mouth and it was very hit or miss. If it wasn't for CNP, there is no way I would still be a consultant or able to do my own thing at all. I would have had to quit within the first six months or a year. And it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always great, but I did learn a lot. And I think also it was a time for me to heal, like I said, mentally and emotionally and physically from just about 12 years of just being in sympathetic nervous system mode of fight, flight, or freeze consistently 24-7 and just a complete stress mess. So it wasn't fun. Healing, I don't think, is ever fun, but it was needed, and I'm so grateful for it. And I know there are a lot of people who probably could really use something similar. My recommendation would be maybe take a step down in a lower position to kind of coast a little bit while you're able to heal. Uh, and if it wasn't for my husband's health insurance through you know his employer, I also wouldn't be able to be self-employed, especially with all my health issues that I have. I mean, I full on have chronic pain. I have fibromyalgia. I have permanent nerve damage in my neck from one of the car accidents. Like it's significant. And absolutely the fact that I didn't slow down long enough to heal contributed to making it so much worse. I'm just now in the last few months receiving a new treatment that is really helping a lot. And I've definitely seen just a difference and I'm not listening to the fear as much as I have 
But I've always really been comfortable behind the scenes. I've always been a lot more comfortable being the person who hires the keynotes for the conference and, you know, asks the people. I've always, I think I've been pretty good at who knows what and who should be talking about what and what they should be saying about it, right? I mean, it's not just enough to say, okay, people care about EMV or account takeover or uh, PSD2 or whatever the subject is. It's, well, what do they need to know? What's going to help them do their job better? And who's the best person to talk about it? So that's something that I think I've been really good at over the years. And that was something I loved to do, but never really be the one sharing the information. I mean, I've spoken at conferences here and there, but it's never been my goal or my dream. But a few years ago, I just started posting on LinkedIn and just wanting to be helpful. I kind of missed having a method of being able to get information out to people about trends really quickly and you know things that really they needed to know to do their job better so I just started posting on LinkedIn and first couple conferences I'd go to afterwards I'd have people that I didn't even know be like I follow you on LinkedIn thanks so much and I'm thinking what Uh, this is before there was ever such thing as LinkedIn influencers and and all of that and I've never been as consistent about it as you know I probably should be or could be but I do try to engage more. And had I not done that, I wouldn't have met Brett. I wouldn't have met a lot of amazing people in my life and wouldn't have had as many opportunities for sure. But meeting Brett led to, and for those of you that don't know that story, Brett Johnson is a former cyber criminal and was on the Secret Service Most Wanted for Cybercrime. He also started the first forum for buying and selling credit cards prior to the dark web being used for that. And he was my co-host for the online broadcast for over two years. And I met him and he reached out to me for, you know, we've told the story many times, but he reached out to me on LinkedIn and I recognized his name. And then I really recognized his former employer, which was Shadow Crew, the criminal organization that he headed up. (laughs) So that caught my attention. And after having several months of conversations and vetting, I CMP was believed in me enough to have him, you know, come be the speaker. And we were the first place that he ever got a legitimate paycheck other than like landscaping and that kind of thing, but in fraud. And so, but at that time he was trying to encourage me, well, gosh, you know, a lot too. You should be out here talking at conferences. And I'm thinking, oh no, no, I I don't know enough. I, I really like to be behind the scenes. But when that first conference happened, I put in the program a closed door session for merchants only because I imagined that merchants would want to ask him like, hey, are we being targeted or what are you seeing and and all that. And certainly those are the kinds of things that if some solution providers learn that information, they would really uh, use it, unfortunately, to try to get business or almost extort companies. And I've seen it. So that's why it was merchant only. And so in that, he was up there talking, he was answering someone's question, and I saw so many question marks over their heads. So I just jumped up on stage and started translating for him. For instance, like he's talking about a carter and everyone's like, what the heck is a carter? And I'm like, oh, that's what they call it on the other side of, you know, someone who commits credit card fraud. Or he (laughs) suggested that everyone just manually look at every single order and call the phone number on file. And that was how they could determine if it was fraud or not. And I had to say, well... That would be super idea. You know, that'd be fine if you had 10 orders a day, but if you have thousands or, or you know, hundreds of thousands of orders a day, that's just not scalable or you know, actionable. So we learned through that that like, huh, we make a pretty decent team. So when I came home from that conference, my husband and I went out to breakfast. I was still very jet lagged and exhausted, but we went out to breakfast the next morning that I got back. I think I got back like late at night one night and he was asking me about it and I was telling him about that part and he said well you guys should have that was when podcasts were just kind of starting up to be popular and he said you guys should have a podcast and you should call it the online or you guys should call it the Frogcast." and he's so punny and I was like well hmm you know Brett's thinking about how to get his name out there too and I don't want to be you know I don't want to be in the spotlight but if this could help people, I guess I could try. And then, you know, we learned that there were other podcasts called Frogcast that had nothing to do with fraud. And even though they had only had a couple of episodes several years before, like once the name's taken on the podcast platforms, it's really challenging. So we titled it the online Frogcast, and that was how that was born. And that experience really helped me kind of come into my own of being more 
in the spotlight or the limelight are just more well known. And I mean, the first few times I got what I guess would be considered fan mail, I was like, I think it got this to the wrong person. And it made me super uncomfortable. It's never gotten to my head. It's just made me feel really, Ooh. and sometimes I don't respond to it because it makes me feel so uncomfortable. It's similar to me not uh, getting the show notes to my editor in time last week. I think my brain is very good about just, it's like, oh, that scares us. So we're just not going to remind you about it ever again. And there's, I've been really trying hard on that, but there's been several business opportunities as well as LinkedIn notes that come my way that sometimes that happens. And it's like the worst thing ever for business to sabotage myself. I mean, it's ridiculous, but I am working on it and I am getting better. But in some cases, you know, I, I have made a lot of mistakes. I, I don't know if every client, I think, you know, some of my former clients would say, yeah, we had great results, but she didn't totally know what she was doing on the consulting side and they would be hundred percent right. But I just kept going. And I think that I've, you know, honestly, the last two years of my business have been better than ever. And it's because I started to be less reactive. I started to be less, well, I mean, if people are, if people want me, they know who I am. They, they'll they reach out to me and saying like, no, I'm going to remind them that I'm here and, and that I'm helpful and that I'm good. And, and another thing that was really great, and this is just one of those funny moments looking back and going, huh, is, and this is not to meant as a dig at all. This is just like, when I'm looking back at my life, it's something that I do think contributed to me being able to make it on my own as well, is that over the last several years, those merchants that I became a go-to person for when I was at the trade association continue to reach out to me. When they don't know who else to ask a question to, they reach out to me. And it's not because they haven't tried the trade association once or twice, but for a while there, they, they weren't feeling supported or like they would get their questions answered. And so that kind of gave a gap for me to fill. And even though there were times when I was like, are you aware that I don't work for them anymore? Or, you know, this is my personal email, right? Or thinking, I really would rather, like, I should be getting paid for this. Like, I've just always had a policy that if it's a quick question or an introduction or something like that, I'm never going to charge a merchant anything. I know how hard it is firsthand to get budget and all of that. Definitely there are bigger projects and and things I just can't answer, but there's a lot of things that I can when it comes to general best practices and, and all that. Now, if it, you know, starts going into strategy and specific, you know, provide like even some specific providers, I'll provide, you know, suggestions on those based off of uh, their user feedback, other, what other merchants are saying about those companies. But really it's just, it's because I love helping people and because I just feel like all the knowledge I've gotten to learn from working with all of these huge companies and knowing what works and what doesn't work and knowing, you know, what problems this company has over that problem and soaking all of that up has very little value if I keep it to myself. And I also just don't see it as my knowledge. I see it as other people's knowledge that they trusted me with. And I am the hub of the wheel, so to speak. And other fraud fighters are are the spokes or the information is the spokes going out really to the the tire itself. And that's really the most important. I mean, I might provide some stability, but like, you know, the tire is the one on the ground, literally. I talk in analogies. If you've listened to any episode, you know that. So, you know, I, I've learned a lot about consulting at some point. I'll probably do an episode about that because I know I, I get a lot of questions about it. I think some of the highest levels of things I've learned is, you know, to be helpful first before, expecting anything in return. I have had to put some pretty significant guardrails and boundaries around my business because I do work with so many clients and, or so many merchants, even if we don't have an NDA or a a actual like contract or agreement, or they're not paying me, I still take their trust and their just, yeah, their trust and uh, in me very seriously. And so that's why I won't Uh, say, oh, this company's having this problem or this company uses these. I'll just say there's a company that uses that. That's huge to me. I know that I am extremely blessed and well and lucky that so many people trust me, especially without NDAs. And I never, ever want them to regret that. I have turned down a lot of money offering me my Rolodex or asking me to be spokesperson or whatever for solutions. That either I, you know, some of them I, I do think are good in some context. Others I, I don't I don't think are good, both from a product perspective as well as that their users and, and their clients are not happy and they share that. But I, I once had a solution provider tell me that I was going to die proud but poor 
because I wouldn't take referral fees when a merchant would just ask me, hey, who should I talk to about this? I, I wouldn't take a referral fee. There are maybe two or three situations now, several years later where I do, but it's because they're the only company that I would recommend in that sector. Or, you know, it's very, very, I I really, they're innovative. They're new. A lot of people don't know them. And I'm also super upfront about it. Whenever I tell a merchant, I, you know, I'm very clear that I work with them. So I feel better about that, but I've had to, I've had to learn all these things. I didn't know that that existed until, you know, some people saw me put consultant on my LinkedIn and that was when it started. And I mean, guys, there's a lot of money in it. <laughs> but again, trust is you know more important to me than anything. And I've just always put principle over profit and believed that it'll all work out in the end. And, and so far, so good. I'm certainly not wealthy by any stretch of the means, but am I so fortunate that I get to be my boss and I get to choose what I work on and choose what I talk about. And I also get to kind of be the mouthpiece for several fraud people that, that aren't because their PR departments or their marketing departments don't think it's it's good for them to be uh, on the record. I have very strong feelings against that. And I also have a lot of ways to get around that or at least not around that in a way that would be bad, but like to meet them in the middle. So I, I do try to elevate any online merchant that I possibly can, but you know, a lot of them can't or don't want to be. So I'm kind of the person that says, Hey, this is a trend that's happening. And I just don't assign it to the fraud fighter or to the the company. So I've kind of created this role for myself and really the guiding lights that have really helped me determine what I want to do or, or decisions to make are, around my core beliefs that collaboration and education are the only way that fraud fighters are going to have even an even playing field with the other side. That, you know, being very merchant focused has really helped me make decisions as well as, you know, just crystal clear on on what works and what doesn't. And then the other way I've learned what projects and, and types of companies I want to work with is the way I've learned a lot of things the hard way. And there have been some significant challenges. I, I still care deeply. I still struggle with perfectionism. I often say I'm a recovering perfectionist. And so I still care deeply about pleasing others and wanting the best for them. And it's not always the case. I mean, there's been a lot of tears shed over consulting clients too, not just over full-time employers. And the older I get and the more experienced I get, the less tears there are, but it still happens every once in a while. I think for sure one of the biggest challenges for me in consulting is a similar challenge that a lot of people in fraud leadership still have, you know, for on the merchant side, especially, but both sides have it for sure is I kind of, I equate it to like, if someone goes to the doctor and says they want to lose weight and the doctor says, well, you need to diet and exercise. And they say, no, 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 no. I I just want to take a pill. I want to do something quick. Like, don't you have a magic wand? I do feel like some companies that hire consultants have this expectation that we have magic wands and that I'm going to be able to help them reduce their chargebacks or increase their acceptance rates or increase their customer experience or all of the above without making any changes at all on their on their side. And that's not to say that I haven't figured out a lot of great systems and a lot of great ways to help them, but usually it's not what they want to do. And that can be really challenging for me. It's like, sometimes it feels like every client I'm starting over, right? Like, you know, I can, because I have had great, I've proven myself with one client. Well, now this project's over. So now I'm going to another one. Now I have to prove myself again. And there have been some huge challenges. Maybe that's, you know, stories for another day. But at the end of the day, I would not change this experience for anything. It has been hard. It has been ah, really challenging. And there have been days where I can't get out of bed. I mean, guys, I still have really bad depression and anxiety. And at times it's debilitating. And with the, with this pandemic, it, it really hit me for a couple of months. I was finally, in my mind, finally coming to a point where I had, you know, a steady stream of clients. I had stepped down from my full-time role with CMP. I still have like a small dotted line and, and contribute to articles and I facilitate the merchant 
collaboration call once a month that they hear me on and and I'm very grateful that they did and it's been really successful. So I, of course, I'm going to facilitate that and love that very much. And it's like a highlight of my, my month, but I don't work with them half as much. So I've the last you know year and a half, I've really had to hustle because I haven't had that sure thing or that safety net really. And I have some regret over not building a business while I had the safety net. But again, my daughter was going through a lot. I had a lot of health issues and was in my own way like I often am. So I was at a point where I had, you know, a waiting list and I had, you know, new, I I had made more money than I had in a month for two months in a row right before the pandemic and was really hitting my stride. And then COVID happened and at first it was okay, but then there were a lot of follow-up projects that got scrapped or reprioritized because no one knew what was coming. And that was really, really hard. I barely had, I mean, when I say barely, I mean, barely had any income coming in for four months this year and actually didn't get PPP or any small business association help, which really can be frustrating when you know how many fraudsters are getting, getting that, but they, you know, still turned down my application, but I just, you know, made it, I I turned inward and I reminded myself of all the things I've been through. And I also sought out you know, help and, you know, had to get an increase on the antidepressants had to, you know, well, I didn't have to, but I chose to seek out a new type of treatment that has really been helpful for me, but it was a slog. There were several days in April, May, June that I didn't get out of bed. Or if I did, like, I just really was just not, I was really having a hard time. And I was like, I, I don't know where I'm, you know, okay, I failed. Like, that's just, I think, always what I've been afraid of ever since, you know, the beginning of my career of, well, at some point, someone's going to realize that I'm a fake and, you know, that it's just the the gig's going to be up. And that's, I mean, imposter syndrome is real for me. I uh, know some women don't have it. And I'm very, very jealous of you. But also, I mean, some men have it as well. But just, you know, it's that voice telling you that you're not qualified. So I, over the last, you know, year or so have done a lot of self-discovery and self-reflection and paid for coaching that has really been helpful. Investing in myself and my business has, has been a game changer. And I've realized that it's up to me now more than ever to focus on the things I can control and ignore the things I can't, or maybe not ignore, but just not put as much stock into it. And so, I mean, I have to be militant about what I pay attention to when I first wake up in the morning. I can't look at my phone and look at the news. I can't look at my phone and look at my email. I have to, you know, I have a playlist on Spotify that I listen to that kind of helps me get in the groove in the morning. I list out what I'm thankful for. I, you know, usually my, our dog is in the bed. So, you know, I'll cuddle with him a little bit, like just, you know, having the good things wake me up in the morning rather than starting with the really, really bad has been really helpful. There's a lot of tips, but that's, you know, one that's made a change surrounding myself with just incredible people who strive to be better is, has been a game changer too. I don't think it's a secret, especially if you follow me on LinkedIn, that I started working with Heather Monahan about four or five months ago. She had a similar experience where she was a keynote speaker. And, you know, I was also starting to charge for my speeches at at events too, before all this happened. And she had the rug pulled out from underneath her and didn't know what to do. And so she started an executive coaching group. And had she not done that, I don't know if I'd be on this podcast episode today. I actually know for a fact I wouldn't have my own podcast because this summer when Brett made the decision to no longer uh, be a part of the online broadcast and, but didn't want, you know, me to continue it or, you know, whatever. It was just, you know, he made a decision that it needed to be done. And I, the first thing I thought was, well, I mean, people just listen to to Brett, to the, to the podcast for Brett, not for me. So I'm not going to do my own. And when I had my first one-on-one meeting with Heather, I told her, you know, some of the numbers behind our podcast. And I said, but, you know, that's going away. So I have to, you know, work on getting my name out there in a different way. And she said, why? Why can't you just start your own? And I'm like, well, I mean, to think about it. And I was like, I guess I can sketch it out and see. And she goes, what is there to think about? What is there to sketch out? I honestly don't understand. Like, just create the freaking podcast. And that. I I also learned in that moment and others in working with her that my perfectionism has been a crutch and a way for me to 
try to stay safe by, well, I can't do anything until I think about it 400 different ways from 400 different angles. And that's why, you know, you'll start seeing me just doing things and I'll probably make a mistake here or there. I mean, I created a last minute fraud fighter happy hour for this week. It already happened on Tuesday, but I like gave a week's notice and I'm very grateful and humbled by how many people are able to attend that early. And of course, I mean, most of us are just in our homes anyway, right? But I did it because so many people were telling me how lonely they were and isolated they were before the holidays, but I only had a a week's notice. So it's not going to be as successful or as big as, you know, would have otherwise, but those, you know, 20 people or whatever, you know, they're going to be on it. I'm recording this right before it happens. Well, not right before, but the day before it happens. So I don't know exactly what the final number is going to be, but those people are going to be grateful. And that was what my husband reminded me too. Cause I was like, Oh man, I only have like five signups. So, like, and this was like within the first 24 hours. And he's like, or you could say this is the first time you've ever created something from scratch for yourself and not for another organization. And six, five or six people believe in you and are willing to, you know, pay, even if it's a small amount, like it was $10, you know, to be a part of it. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. And that's why I am creating the F4, the Fearless Female Fraud Fighter coaching group starting January 1st. I cannot wait. To those of you who tried to find it online and and Google it, there's not a website yet. There will be very, very soon. It's being worked on. This is something I'm creating uh, from scratch and I am trying to move fast because otherwise I will stew in it like I have. This is something I've wanted to do for over a year. So that's why there isn't a website yet. That's why it's not searchable. So uh, reach out to me or my assistant at info at Chargelytics Consulting dot com to be put on the list so that you'll be let know in the next week or two how to sign up and how to be a part of it. I am so excited because there have been a lot of little, I guess our society calls them hacks or, or little tweaks that have really helped me a ton, like how I get up in the morning, like what I choose to do, what like, you know, a lot of things and that I've learned that have helped me and I am by no means done on my journey. I have so many more things to work on and per- and you know, be better at and improve and, you know, be a better consultant, be a better human and a better mom and all those things. But I also know that there are a lot of people that are where I was. And so, you know, why not go through this journey together? And I know I'll learn a lot too. So I'm very excited about that. And there will be some other things in the works too. As I'm turning over this new leaf from having, you know, one-on-one clients to, I need to kind of create my own because this pandemic has taught me that I can't just wait for someone to email me or pick up the phone and say, Hey, do you have time for a project? Like I I just can't, I can't afford it. Um, and I'm not ready to call it quits yet. So I'm being more proactive and, and wanting to create more opportunities for more people as well. So that is more of the last six years I, I glossed over it. There's a lot of specific stories that, you know, I might dive in later. I may, you know, I don't know, a few people have asked me to write a book. We'll see about that. I am so much more comfortable talking about fraud fighting than I am myself and the mistakes I've made. But I'm so grateful to everyone who has been a part of my journey, both the hard stuff, both the good people and, and the people that have really challenged me. That can be harder to be grateful for, but I think it's important because if I didn't have adversity, I wouldn't have learned how to get up so many times. And something that does help me is, you know, I think back on all the things that I, you know, didn't think I ever would do or that I, you know, were really hard to do. And I think, okay, well, if I did that, I can do this. And so if it weren't for those hard times and those hard people, maybe I wouldn't have so many examples to fall back on for myself to challenge me for the next step. (laughs) You never know. It probably sounds like I'm Pollyanna, but I mean, I've also learned that being in fraud fighting can very easily have you question your faith in humanity. And so I do try to be, I I am intentionally positive and I am intentionally looking for the good and, and looking for what I'm grateful for because that is what helps me keep going and focusing on my why, focusing on the fact that I know what it's like to be in an emerging industry and not really have any resources or help to solve this problem within my company. And 
being able to learn so much from other people who are in the same boat or were in that boat before changed my life, changed my career, helped me with everything. So that's a big part of my why, why I still do all these things. I mean, almost every business coach I've ever worked with is like, you do too much for free. And I get that. But at the same time, it's important to me and that's what fulfills me. And I also am extremely grateful to have a pretty good size roster and, and companies who do enjoy working with me and who do who are not free so it all evens out in the end I think you know what I'd encourage everyone to do is you know think about your why not the what not the how because I just think like anyone who writes five-year goals you might be pigeonholing yourself or you know I mean gosh I didn't even know that the internet like was going to become this when I started you know I, I we had no idea so there'd already been one <laughs> crash in the internet. So, or bust or whatever you want to call it from the early 2000s. And so, you know, there was no way to know what it would become. So I think the how and the what sometimes can get distracting. I mean, obviously, if you have something big, like you really want to write a book or you want to have a podcast or you want to do, you know, that's a really good goal to have, but then be open to other opportunities along the way, because you just never know what's going to come. I, at least from my experience, when you focus on doing the right thing and you focus on your why and your reasons for working hard, the how and the what, they they show up. And that's just something that, you know, I'm learning over time. So anyway, I'm in no means a self-improvement guru or, you know, personal developer, anything like that. But those are just a few things that I've learned. And again, what my real why is for doing this two-part episode series is around encouraging you to be your best self, encouraging you to keep going and not let the really hard times and get discouraged and keep you down forever. Sometimes I joke that, you know, Chubba Wubba wouldn't have a hit if they didn't get back up again. And I apologize for everyone who's going to now have that song. I get knocked down, but I get up again, stuck in their head for the rest of the day. But it is something that I, you know, often think about is like, it's the getting back up that's hard, but it's the getting back up that separates those of us, you know, who have longer resumes and and the battle scars to prove it and, you know, earned those long resumes and earned those big experiences and everything that, you know, we're able to do that. It's because we got back up. It's way easier just to get knocked down and stay there. And I have, so I've experienced both sides of it. With all of that, I know that we are entering into the busiest time of the year, especially for online commerce. So the next few episodes are going to be meant as help for those and providing some great information and intel from just incredible people who have vision into, or not vision, but visibility into the dark web, as well as into what the criminals are doing and and trends and what's happening. So also, if you have any questions that come up during this time, uh, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I may not get to respond to you right away, but I do plan to incorporate those into the podcast pretty quickly. So usually like the following week. So I think that's a great way for everyone to learn from each other and also help with my time as well and help in changing from, you know, serving one-to-one to to one-to-many as they say. So if you're in the U.S., I hope that you are having a uh, great Thanksgiving as much as you possibly can in current COVID situations that you are, you know, I, I don't really subscribe to the historical reasons for Thanksgiving, but I really do appreciate having a day to focus on gratitude. When you focus on what you have, the things you don't have just don't seem as much. They don't seem to be as, have as much weight. It's a great thing to do with your kids too. And I just please know that I am grateful for all of you that tune into this week after week. And for those of you that subscribe, and I really look forward to bringing you a pretty exciting interview next week. So I'll see you then. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.